Hello, welcome back to Hardly Flowering. It's me, Catherine, your host. And today we're going to be thinking about art and relationship to the mind. And we're going to be doing that through the poetry of Elizabeth Jennings, who is a phenomenal poet. I've actually only just discovered her, but a bit more on that once we get into the episode. But yes, today our main focus is going to be art, the mind, how Catholicism fits into that, and Elizabeth Jennings in particular. So I hope you enjoy. So before we begin to discuss her work, I wanted to say a little bit about Elizabeth Jennings. I didn't know who she was until recently, actually, um, someone posted something on Twitter. I think it was, uh, it was one of the priests who I follow on Twitter. And he was saying that he enjoyed reading the poetry of Elizabeth Jennings, especially during his time at seminary, during his training. Um, just something about her work really spoke to him during that period of his life. And then he posted an article. So I read the article and I was just fascinated by this woman and her life. And then I started reading some of her poems. I ordered um, the book, the collected poems, the the short one, I forget what it's called, the selected poems, excuse me. The collected poems is like super long, it's like a thousand pages long. She wrote loads of poetry. But if you are like me and want to spend $5, I highly recommend this little book. It's small, it's paperback. I got it from thrift books, so it cost like $4. Um, and yeah, it's, it's only like 120 pages. And it just has a really nice selection of her poetry. So, who was Elizabeth Jennings? She was born in 1926 um, in England. She was English. She lived there all her life. She moved to Oxford um, early on in her life. She went to university there, and that was where she was sort of lived the rest of her life. She was very much a part of. Oxford society, Oxford intellectual life. She joined something called the Movement, which is a group of English poets who were dedicated to what they called an anti-romantic aesthetic. So actually, if you think back to the episode on aestheticism, if you happen to have listened to that, that's actually really helpful in understanding what her poetry is about. So they were against this aesthetic of romanticism, which grew out of the aesthetic movement or was related to, I guess you could say, the one informed the other. Um, but in any case, she was a, the only female member of this group, as it happens, and she published many, many poems, 26 books of poetry in her lifetime, um, and then some later, I believe, after her collected works was only published after her death. Right. So she had this nickname where she was called the Bag Lady of Poetry because although she was a phenomenal poet and published loads of stuff, she also struggled with poverty um, through her entire life. She also was known for, even when things were going well, not dressing up. She just sort of dressed the same way all the time, both in the good times and the bad, um, which is an interesting statement. I'm not going to go into that too much. Um, but she was also a a Catholic. She was a Roman Catholic throughout her life. This was very public about her. Um, a lot of her work is just filled with beautiful Catholic images. She goes through the seasons of the church. She goes through things like the resurrection. She writes a poem from the perspective of Mary Magdalene, which is particularly beautiful. 
She writes one on St. Teresa of Avila, which is, I, I, that one was really interesting to me. It's not the one we're going to talk about, but the, the way it's structured is it's almost like prose, except the paragraphs are so short and so carefully put together that it is poetry. It's a really interesting and complex poem from a form perspective. Also just great about St. Teresa. I mean, you can't really go wrong with her. Um, so, so much for Jennings' resume, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, but she also kept... Um, she str Her mental health was a consistent difficulty for her throughout her life. She was in a psychiatric hospital for on and off through much of her adult life. Um, and a lot of her poems touch on this as well. There's one particular sequence of poems. Look at the name of it. I really loved it. It's called Sequence in a Hospital. Um, and so she has there's poems entitled Pain, The Ward, After an Operation, Patients in a Public Ward, The Visitors, Hospital, and some others. Um, and these just tell in a particularly beautiful and poignant way her experiences as a psychiatric patient in this hospital where she was. She also wrote another poem about the the sisters who were the night nurses in that hospital and just she was so impressed by their resilience and their charity and kindness to the patients there that she wrote this poem about them. So anyway, we do know quite a lot about Jennings' inner life, which not only through her poetry but also through her notebooks and her diaries, if you want to call them diaries. They're more like, I don't know, person, they're just notebooks. She worked in them, she wrote down her thoughts, she wrote down what happened to her, and she's left them all behind. There's several collections of them in different museums. I think I'll link to one at some point in the little description thing that I make for these episodes now. So it's also, I guess that's kind of enough about her life. I'm obviously not going to give you a full summary of everything about her. There's a great biography of her life written by some person who I forget, so hopefully I will link to that in my little summary. Um, but now let's just sort of think about her more as a poet. So she was writing, you know, it, at the beginning she was part of the movement, that English group of poets that I mentioned, but obviously that didn't last throughout her entire lifespan. She died in 2001, so she's, and she was writing for all of that time. So she's a contemporary, if you want to think of her in that sense. But to read her poems, it's hard to date them, right? She didn't follow many of the trends that took over the poetic world during the course of her life. She really stuck to form very traditional types of forms. She did play with them, as I mentioned in that poem about St. Teresa, but she has very regular meter in most of her work. Her work is very ordered. Um, and then what a lot of critics think is that in this, in her poems, she's trying to sort of order the world in which she finds herself, especially because for much of her life, it was a very difficult world, a very tumultuous world a world which she found very difficult to understand and to cope with mentally, as well as emotionally. So there's, I'll link an article about her life, there's loads more we can say here, but I would like at this point to jump right in to today's topic, well today's poem I guess. Um, this is one that I, I'm taking from that book of selected poems that I mentioned, 
It's called Chinese Art. Um, and I, I picked this poem firstly because not many people talk about it because it's a bit weird. And then, of course, there's this added layer in which the art she's talking about, I think, isn't actually Chinese art, but something she saw on a plate, which, again, ugh, it gets very complex very quickly. So I'm going to do my best to understand this, to break it down. But one of the most beautiful things about this poem is its dedication to form. So that's another reason why I selected it. It's really Jennings using form very well. Her lines are beautiful. Um, her rhymes are particularly significant. They're all full rhymes. They're very, very orderly. But at the same time, when you read the poem, it's constructed in such a way that you don't feel the lines very strongly. You know, it's not like Longfellow or Robert Louis Stevenson's children's poetry where you feel the rhyme coming at the end of every line. It's very rhythm oriented. She doesn't do that with her lines. Instead, the rhymes show beautifully when you see the poem written down, but are almost harder to identify in speech. So I would recommend that you have this in front of you if possible. I couldn't really find it online except on one person's blog, but then she like did this line by line interpretation. It was really hard to read. So I just typed it up and put it in the description. All right, so without further ado, let's just read the poem, Chinese Art by Elizabeth Jennings. You said you did not care for Chinese art because you could not tell what dynasties a scroll or bowl came from. There is no heart, you said, where times avoided consciously. I saw your point because I loved you then. The willows and the horses and the birds seemed cold to me, each skillfully laid on. Thin phrase spoke like nothing but unpassionate words. I understand now what those artists meant. They did not care for style at all or fashion. It was eternity they tried to paint, and timelessness, they thought, must lack all passion. Odd that just when my feeling need for you has gone all wrong, I should discover this. Yes, but I lack the sense of what is true within these wise old artists' skillfulness. It would be easy now to close again my heart against such hurt. Those willows show in one quick stroke a lover feeling pain, and birds escape fast as the brush strokes go. All right, so it's pretty simple as far as this overall structure is concerned. Um, we have five stanzas, four lines each. The, there's a rhyming scheme. A, B, A, B, so far seems pretty simple. Now let's look at the imagery of the poem first. Right, so the, the title, I mean Chinese art, gives us an interesting theme to start with, but as I'm going to get into a bit later, I kind of am having difficulty with this title simply because I'm not exactly sure that she is actually looking at Chinese art based on the references later in the poem. But let's just start from the beginning. So in the the opening line, you said you did not care for Chinese art. Um, we already have this. She's addressing this poem to someone, right? Someone who presumably is some sort of art critic. Uh, this person has opinions on Chinese art as opposed to other forms of art from other countries in the world. Um, and so then she continues because you could not tell what dynasties a scroll or bowl came from. So I read through the end of the line there just because it, it makes more sense. I'm not going to stop when there's enjambment. So 
this person's reason for not caring about Chinese art is because they couldn't tell the timing by looking at it, right? It's There's no um, moment that you can identify this from. Now, of course, if this person is a real scholar, obviously they would be able to do this, but to a sort of casual observer um, going through an exhibition, a museum, say, it would be more difficult if you're not familiar with the style, which presumably this person is not. Um, so the, they're having an issue with the time in relation to the art, and that's going to be a theme throughout the poem. So then we have a quote from the person. There is no heart, you said, where time's avoided consciously. So in this line and a half, or half a line, then line, I think it's really important to remember the movement that Jennings started from, where she's very anti-romantic, because this sentiment almost seems romantic to me, right? It's, um, it's a momentary sentiment. You're supposed to feel something when you look at this art, and you're supposed to feel the time in which it was created. That's this person's view of art. It's supposed to bring you to a specific time in which you can presumably have some sort of experience of the heart, right? This is an intellectual-based understanding of art. This is an emotive understanding of art. So it's no surprise that later on in the poem, uh, this person has fallen out of favor. I like I don't know, my reading of the poem, I prefer to think of it as someone with whom Jennings had a romantic relationship, or not Jennings, but the poet, I suppose you could say. The person, the first person, I prefer to think of as having had a romantic relationship with this person in the past. That's at least the reading that I'm going to go with now. Some people have read it as friendship or other types of relationship. It is not specified. I'm going to assume this poem is a woman thinking about her past boyfriend. Just because you have to pick one, and that's the one that I've picked. So let's keep going. Um, she says, I saw your point because I loved you then. Which, again, what a beautiful line. Even just thinking about the ways in which our love sort of affects our understanding of art, right? So she is saying that she only accepted this criticism of the art that she is viewing because of her love for the speaker, which is probably not a very good reason to accept, um, you know, an opinion of art. This is based, again, she, you could even think of her as the poet joining in with this person in an emotive view of art. They're both feeling art. He, or the, the you, the you person, is not feeling in his heart that this art is moving him to a specific time, and she is not feeling, um, she's out of her feeling of love for him, she's agreeing. So this is not good art criticism, this is just people feeling things. Then we get into the next line, her description of the art, and this is where I start to make connections that make me actually question what art she's looking at. So the willows and the horses and the birds seemed cold to me. So at this point, we have to remember, um, I don't know if any of you have seen this, but there's a really, really common um, version of like blue and white China, the sort of like vaguely 
oriental print blue stuff that's like really beautiful colors but also like definitely was just watercolors that were done by Europeans pretending to be Chinese um, so there's this one really famous one called the willow pattern and it's based off of a pretend Chinese legend which actually is fake and was invented just to sell this for marketing purposes um, but basically the main idea is there are two lovers things don't go well they come from different social classes and that's an issue for them and through very the, the story is kind of long but it involves a willow tree and then in the end um, the two lovers in the story turn into doves so if you if you've seen these plates there's usually um, some sort of willow tree and then two doves at least right so when she's mentioning things like the willows and the birds it kind of draws me to think that she's thinking specifically of that image I know there are loads of others but this was just such a common feature Every, at this point everybody had in their house this blue and white china it was just very common throughout England and America as well and so it would have been a natural thing for people's minds to jump to when they think of willows and birds in a vaguely Chinese sort of style they probably would have jumped to that particular image so it's something interesting something that I am kind of playing with as I read this poem um, and if you also look at the little sources thing on my little notes that I made on the poem I did an illustration of that kind of willow bird style thing based on a plate that I actually remember having my grandmother having actually so if you want to know what I mean look at that and hopefully it will remind you or maybe you've seen that before um, so let's get jump back into the poem I got distracted thinking about plates so the willows and the horses and the birds seemed cold to me each skillfully laid on thin phrase spoke like nothing but unpassionate words so this little ending to the line is interesting um, so first the laid on again that it evokes the the painting on china like painting on the glass image in my mind so that kind of goes with my plate theory but it's it's nice how the word thin is stuck onto that third line of the stanza when it kind the comma indicates that it would go with the line below now she's using it to rhyme with then so you can always say she just stuck it in because of that but it's a really nice summary of that line right so she's talking about how the, the images seem cold to her they seem unfeeling though they are skillful that's another word she's going to repeat later in the poem um, everything is skillfully laid on but thin she's not seeing depth in this piece of art and then um, the thin phrase spoke like nothing but unpassionate words so again she's perceiving this lack of passion in the art presumably because she's just agreeing with this person who she used to love and then in the third stanza this is where we get almost the turn and what I think is the most important line um, in understanding this poem so she says I understand now what those artists meant right so this is where we realize um, that she has moved past just realizing oh I was just agreeing with this person because I loved them now she's because she's severed her ties with this person who was guiding her in that emotivist understanding of art 
she can understand the art that they looked at together. Right, so she now, this is her understanding. They did not care for style at all or fashion. It was eternity they tried to paint. Right, so she's agreeing that there's no, there's less sense of time in these images. Time is being avoided here. But in her new awakened understanding, she perceives that to be a good thing. She says, this lack of time is pointing us towards eternity, which is, in her new understanding, an important function of art and something that she's reveling in. All right, so that little line, it was eternity they tried to paint. That's my favorite of the poem, and I think it's one of the most essential to understanding it. Right, and so then we have the final line, and timelessness, they thought, must lack all passion. So that's almost a rebuttal of the argument at the end of the, the fourth line of the first stanza, where they said, um, you know, time, I'm sorry, the second stanza spoke like nothing but unpassionate words. So she's using the, the word passion again with her new awakened understanding to combat this. Also, wow, I need a sip of coffee or something. Oh, my voice is running out. Gosh, okay. All right, so uh, let's move on to the fourth stanza. So she says, Odd that just when my feeling need for you has gone all wrong, I should discover this. I'm going to take those two lines kind of as a group. Um, so, right, she's confirming for us that this relationship has ended, which she's already hinted at by saying, I loved you then. So presumably she doesn't love this person anymore. But she's now very explicitly linking her understanding of the art, which she was blinded to before, being tied to that severing of this relationship with this person, right? So when her need for you has gone wrong, now she's free to discover what the artists really meant. But the next two lines, those last two lines, show us that she's not all the way there yet, right? She says, yes, but I lack the sense of what is true within these wise old artists' skillfulness. So even though she has been awakened to new levels of understanding this piece of art that she's been viewing. She nevertheless realizes her shortcomings. She says, this eternity that the artist is pointing towards is not something that she can understand yet. She's lacking that sense of what is true. But again, it's also a little beautiful nod to art and its relationship to truth. So kind of a, a full line there. And again, we notice that she's repeating the word skillfulness at the end of the fourth line there, these wise old artists' skillfulness. So she's consciously repeating the words that she's chosen in the beginning in her rebuttal, in her new understanding of the same material in the second half of the poem. So then, so far, this seems good. You could, you could almost end the poem here, but she's chosen to go on into that final stanza. So let's take the first line and a half-ish. It would be easy now to close again my heart against such hurt. So this seems kind of out of place, right? We were just talking about art and truth and eternity and things were going very well. This was really beautifully structured. Um, there's a sort of a, you know, two stanzas of misunderstanding, two stanzas of understanding, and now she's returned to the under to her heart, the thing that 
we kind of have just rebutted, right? She's said that the heart, this heart-based understanding was part of what was mistaken. But now she's returned again to this idea. Um, and I think it's important that she doesn't end there because listen to how it goes on. Those willows show in one quick stroke a lover feeling pain and birds escape fast as the brush strokes go. So that whole, those three, two and a half last lines are just one sentence. So this last stanza is what make the, makes the poem really beautiful and stand out to me. So we've got the first two stanzas, um, you know, project, presenting almost the erroneous opinion, the second two stanzas correcting her, but then the fifth stanza finds that balance. She, so she's saying that with her new understanding of art as striving towards truth, a more intellectual understanding of art, an eternal sort of art, it would be easy to lock away your heart and to just say, that doesn't matter. But she says that now that she understands the timelessness of the art as a good thing, now that she understands that eternity, she can now see in that same piece of art the lover feeling pain, which is herself in this moment as well, according to our reading. So she has loved this person, they are no longer in her life, and she is presumably feeling pain. Um, and there's another beautiful, with the way the, the line is cut, um, the in one quick stroke, a lover feeling pain. If you just read that line by itself, you get the image of the stroke as, you know, a cut, a blade slicing or something like that. Um, so we can almost get the hint that this relationship was severed very quickly and that's part of the pain that she's feeling, right? Which leads us again back to that, the theme of time. And then the final line is the birds, and birds escape fast as the brush strokes go. So we've moved back to time, speed, right? Something's happening quickly, it's happening fast, but she's now almost with the artist watching him paint, right? She's seeing the, those brush strokes and she's seeing the birds fly out of them. Birds being not only an image that is important if we're gonna read this as the willow pattern, but also usually symbolizing freedom. Right? And so there's a lot of double imagery, not only the birds as freedom, but even the willow um, in, the, in an earlier line, those willows show in one quick stroke. So the willow has often been a symbol for sorrow, specifically sorrow and love. I mean, you can look at um, Desdemona's song for the fellow, all those sorts of things. We even have the phrase wearing the willow for someone when someone's broken up with you and you wish they hadn't and are still loving them even though the relationship is over. So we have all of those layers coming together, especially in that last stanza, which it doesn't conclude neatly. If we had ended with those old widest, the wise artists' skillfulness, if we had ended at the stanza before, this poem would have a very neat conclusion. It would be two stanzas, one opinion, two stanzas, the other opinion closed. But this fifth stanza really complicates the entire work. And it's showing that in understanding art intellectually, that is when your heart is going to be the most free to respond to it. So it's something that I found particularly powerful and beautiful, even though it is complicated with the whole issue looking at real art thing, I don't know. But regardless, it's a great poem. So let's see, how long have I been talking for now? This thing, oh, 28 minutes, okay, well, 
I'm afraid that's going to have to be all we have time for. But I hope that was at least helpful um, and encouraging for you to go out and read some of Jennings' poetry for yourself. It's They're short, they're beautiful, but the imagery is especially poignant. I would especially encourage you to read some of her religious poems. As I said, the St. Teresa of Avila one was quite good. Um, the Resurrection. Uh, there's another one she has called... What is it called? Something about on a friend's vocation. On a friend's calling to the religious life. One of those. It's going to be in the link that I put up. Uh, but that one was, again, a really beautiful look from this tortured soul in many ways, but also a profoundly Catholic soul. So I would highly recommend her work. Go check it out. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can always email me, hardlyflowering at gmail.com. And I'll talk to you again soon.